Today we are in Ephesians chapter 4, from verses 11 down to verse 16. And this is what God's word says. Let me read this for us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's pray together. O Lord God, as we have opened your word, we ask now that you would speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Lord, speak, for your servants are listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've come together this Sunday morning, I couldn't help but notice that today is the last Sunday of April, which means that May is right around the corner. And what's remarkable about that is uh, not just that uh, we're already heading into summer, I don't know where the year went, but from my vantage point, it means that it's been almost three years since I've been here at NBC. And as I reflect on that, I'm amazed at what God has done in the life of our church within just the past three years. Uh, you know, for all the longtime members of NBC, those of you who were here even before I got here, uh, the, the original, the good and faithful, as I like to call you guys, uh, you know, you probably see it better than anyone else in this room, uh, just how faithful and kind uh, God has been to this church over the years. And especially watching him grow this church over the last three years, I'm sure you feel a special joy and gratitude to the Lord, as we rightly should. Uh, it's been an exciting ride. And kind of feels like we're on the Autobahn in Germany, you know, no speed limits, just pedal to the metal, baby, you know. Uh, But truly, praise God for uh, his relentless faithfulness and grace to our church. He's really brought us so far along his kind purpose and will for NBC. But as we talk about where God has taken us thus far, and we take the time to rejoice in it, it's a good opportunity for us to consider where he intends to take us still further. Now, what's next for our church? Where is this whole thing headed? What's the goal that we need to aim for and the the direction that God wants us to step towards as a church? Well, in terms of the logistics and the specifics, I mean, who knows? Uh, Who knows what building we'll be in five, ten years from now? how large or how small our congregation will be. Who knows about these things? And frankly, who cares? Uh, That's not what's really important. It doesn't change our conviction and commitment to continue just to keep preaching the word faithfully and see the Lord work and build his church through it all. 
And so in terms of these kinds of uh, practical logistics, we don't know where things are headed. God hasn't revealed those minute details to us. And that's okay because they don't really ultimately matter. But that's not to say that God has left us entirely directionless. Because biblically, there's a very clear direction and goal of where we need to head. And that is that God has called us to mature as a church. Not just as individuals in our personal sanctification, as important as that is, but that we would pursue a corporate maturation, a congregational spiritual growth. And to put it plainly, God's will for Maranatha Bible Church is that Maranatha Bible Church would become a mature local church. Now, what does that mean exactly? What does a mature local church look like, practically speaking? And the answer is this, that we, as a church, would be ministers of one another. That as members of MBC, we would all grow in our uh, capacity to shepherd one another, as it were, and increasingly take up the mantle of spiritual responsibility and ministry to our fellow members. In other words, a church that is congregationally mature is a church whose function and well-being and spiritual vitality is less upheld by the ministry of the pastor or the pastors and more so upheld by the ministry of all the members. That's the mark of a mature church, and that's the ultimate goal that we need to strive towards as a church. And this isn't just my personal preference as a pastor here. but this is God's design, according to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I'm not going to expound on every detail of these verses here in verses 11 through 16, but this morning I want to help us see the the big picture of this passage, the major blueprint of the church, if you will, whose architect is Christ himself. Look in verse 11, Paul writes that he, that is Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. Now here, the Apostle Paul begins by mentioning these five special ministers and roles uh, in the church that Jesus has given, assigned for the construction work of building his church, if we can call it that. And they each uh, represent a critical component in the infrastructure of the building. What's underneath the ground, what's behind the walls of God's house, as it were. And the list, as you notice, begins with the Apostles, and the prophets. And of course, the most common question and the point of confusion here is with the mention of these two offices because many insist that this verse is indicating that the church needs apostles and prophets today and that there are apostles and prophets still today. You've probably heard uh, teachers of the charismatic movement or even friends as part of that uh, make such a case. And the problem with that argument is that it fails to see the distinct purpose of the apostles and prophets and why God raised them up, which was to establish his word once for all time. 
Uh, in other words, their role, the apostles and prophets, it was not meant to be an ongoing process until the end of time. But there was an important task that God was, God was accomplishing through them, which was meant to be completed, and thus their continued activity no longer needed. Again, which is the complete revelation and inscripturation of the word of God. God used them to write the Bible. Because the, the prophets, they were what? They were spokesmen of God. Through them, his word is revealed and spoken. And the apostles, well, what's their purpose? Mainly, it was that they were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. And through them, his word is attested and authenticated by miraculous signs. And so together, the apostles and the prophets, they serve to establish the complete revelation of God to man, the sufficient revelation of the 66 books of the Bible. That's essentially what the Bible is. You know, the Bible, it's really just the fruit of the ministry of God's prophets and apostles. How do you know that the Bible is actually the word of God as opposed to the Quran or the Book of Mormon? Because the Bible is the message of God's true prophets and appointed apostles. The Bible is the prophetic word of Jesus Christ foretold in the Old Testament, whose arrival, person, and work is announced in the New Testament by the eyewitness testimonies of the apostles and confirmed by their supernatural signs and wonders. And so you see, they represent the canon of Scripture. They were the God-appointed means of bringing about the Bible for the generations of God's people. And that's why there are no more apostles and prophets today, because God's word to man is complete and sufficient and the canon is closed. Otherwise, if we still had apostles and prophets today, then we'd have to keep adding to the Bible. Hence, early in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, remember here Paul in Ephesians 4 just mentioned the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But early in, in chapter 2, verse 20, what does Paul say? He says that the church is built on the foundation of the first two, the apostles and the prophets. And how many times you lay a foundation? You lay it down once for all. If you've got to keep doing it over and over again, something is very wrong and you're doing something wrong. In any case, that's what the first two in this list represent. Simply, the word of God. The church begins with God's word. It is foundational. And if a church abandons the Bible, then that church is irreparably lost. Just as a house whose foundation has been destroyed by a 9.0 magnitude earthquake simply cannot be restored and refurbished no matter how good your general contractor is. And so in the same way, it's the case with the house of God, his church. Now, building on top of that foundation is the last three, which represent the continual proclamation of that word of God, which has been revealed and inscripturated. You'll notice uh, Paul mentions the evangelists, which essentially is referring to a missionary. We see an example of this in Acts. We see Philip the evangelist, as he was called. Why? Because he took the gospel in the very, very early years of the church. He carried the gospel to Samaria and then even down all the way to Ethiopia. So you remember that famous passage in Acts chapter 8 as he, he ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading Isaiah 53 and he came to faith and was baptized. 
Now, the, the focus so much here is not on some special title of a missionary, but rather the particular labor of bringing the gospel to non-believers. It's the focus, the scope. You don't have to be a quote-unquote missionary to do that. Uh, that's the calling of every Christian to preach the gospel and to bring it to those around us who do not know Christ. And so, in a sense, every Christian is a missionary. But here, Paul mentions these evangelists. Uh, they are distinctly noted here to focus on the task of ministering to the non-believing world because the last two, shepherds slash teachers, are focused on ministering to believers within the church. That's actually how the Great Commission is uh, put forth, isn't it? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, meaning bring them into Christ, and then teaching them, instructing them, to do all that I've commanded you, discipleship. And so here, Paul is, he mentions shepherds and teachers. He's really talking about pastors and elders. Uh, that's what a pastor is. Pastor literally is, is shepherd. Every time you see the word shepherd in the Bible, you can replace that with pastor and, and vice versa. And so God designed his church to function under the continual ministry of his appointed spiritual leaders, shepherding and teaching the flock. And so you see, if the apostles and prophets are, are like the most basic foundation underneath the house. Then evangelists, pastors, teachers may be likened to the framework of the house above the ground, but behind the walls, the beams, uh, the studs, the pillars. And this is precisely how God uh, describes uh, the church through the apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3.15, that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth, the support beam of the truth. Kind of like that giant beam over there. It's like in everyone's face. But evangelists are the announcers of that truth. Whereas pastors and teachers, their role is to be the guardians of that truth. As remember, Paul uh, exhorted uh, Timothy, the young pastor. He said, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so altogether... This is how God designed the infrastructure of the church to be. Evangelists, they take the prophetic apostolic word of God out to the world. And pastors, elders, they teach that word of God to the members, feeding the flock by it. Now here's the thing. Everything that I just described, everything that Paul has just described from verse 11 is just the infrastructure. A house might have the right foundation and commitment to biblical truth. And a house might have built on top of that very robust framework, faithful spiritual leaders. But if it stays just there, then it's still an unfinished house, an immature and incomplete house, still in the very early stages of development. If you were to purchase such a house, you would be purchasing a major fixer-upper with a lot of work still left to do. Hopefully you didn't overpay for that. But that's where the rest of the church comes in, you see. Because notice how Paul says that Jesus gave these special ministers and roles to the church in verse 11, and then in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up of the body of Christ. 
It's, a, it's the spiritual work that all the members partake in. In other words, every member is called to be a minister of the gospel. Now, of course, we recognize that God appoints special ministers for special offices and special responsibilities for his church. I mean, God designs things with order, and that's even the purpose of ordination. But there's a sense in which every believer is God's minister all the same, because every believer is called to be God's servant. And by the way, that's what the word minister means. Literally, it just means servant. And again, this concept of everyone being a minister of God, every believer, this is nothing new. Because remember how God called Israel to be his people in the Old Testament. What did he say to them on Mount Sinai? He said, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Now hold up. I thought only the Levites were to be priests. Yes. In a special formal capacity as the clergy tribe, but there's a sense in which every Israelite was equal part of this entire kingdom of priests because every one of God's people is called and empowered to the ministry of service to God and his people. And that's why the Apostle Peter, in keeping with this design concept, if we can say that, he says to the whole church in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, a house filled with ministers. You see, this is God's intent to design for his church, that we would all grow into this calling of becoming a congregation filled with ministers of the gospel. I don't mean vocational, occupational ministers. Not everyone is called to be a pastor, but it is God's will for every Christian to grow To the point of being able to provide spiritual care to one another. Now look, I know that we all know that it's important getting all the members involved when we have things like uh, picnics or potlucks or different events in the church. Now look, I'm not taking anything away from that. In fact, I'm so thankful for all the members serving so diligently, as I even mentioned uh, this morning at our members meeting. Uh, you know, I saw everyone serving so faithfully at, at our picnic a couple of weeks ago. And I just, I love that. I love seeing the church come together and serve in just various ways to make events like that happen. And there's, there's such a rightful joy of uh, mutual participation for a ministry event. It's an important facet of our church life. And so again, I'm not taking anything away from that. But on top of that, or if anything, underneath that, more essentially and more foundationally, there's something more that God wants every member to pursue in service to the church. And that is to mature to a point of being able to minister the word to each other. You know, in a sense, every Christian is called to be a minister of God's word, to counsel each other to disciple one another, to teach one another. And did you know that although I am called to preach and teach the word as your pastor, that's not something that's meant to be exclusive to me. Now don't get me wrong. This is not an open invitation for anyone to take the pulpit on a Sunday service and just say whatever they want. That would be disastrous. In fact, funny story, my first 
Sunday of college as a freshman. I was new to UCLA. I didn't know anything about anything. I still don't know anything about anything. And I accidentally, on the first Sunday I was there, walked into a cult. And I'm talking about a real full-blown cult. And it was just this. I mean, it was just chaos. And I got scared. And I wanted to go run back home and move back home to my mommy. So, okay, I'm not suggesting that, okay? That's chaos. That's anarchy. Nor am I saying that anyone, any member is entitled to a regular teaching ministry in the church or some leadership position in the church. I mean, absolutely not. Those things come with a lot of time of testing and discernment, and most of all, humility and demonstrable love for God's people. But what I mean is this, that my job as a teaching pastor is not ultimately to be the sole possessor of the key to knowledge and biblical truth in this church, so as to keep the church dependent on me, as though I were the sole practitioner if you will. Now that's unhealthy and it's unbiblical. But rather, verse 12 says that Jesus ordained and instituted teaching pastors in the church for the purpose of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry so that they would go ahead and do the work of ministry, the work of building up the body. It doesn't just mean building up this organization, but it it means the spiritual edification of the congregation, which involves, again, discipling, teaching, admonishing, counseling, so on and so forth. Now, obviously, in order to be able to partake in such a work, you, as an individual Christian, must be spiritually mature. The church is called to corporate maturity, but corporate maturation depends on individual maturation. Hence, verse 13, Paul says that until we all, each of us, all of us attain to the oneness of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Now, how does Paul portray spiritual maturity in the individual Christian? What does it mean to be a mature believer in the eyes of God? Verse 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children that is spiritually immature, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Meaning, what it means to be spiritually immature is that you're easily influenced by the world's thinking. But rather, by contrast, verse 15, this is the mature individual Christian. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. In every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now that phrase, speaking the truth in love, it literally means, it says, truthing in love. You know, sometimes Paul makes up words uh, as he does here. He takes the word truth, which is a noun, and he verbalizes it. So he says, truthing in love. Now what is he trying to get at here? He's saying that the mature believer is the one who is so immersed in the truth that it controls you. And then it comes out of you to others in love. The spiritually mature Christian is so saturated in the word of God that he or she is governed by it, controlled by it. And as a result, you're you're filled with the wisdom of God and you know how to apply biblical principles in all kinds of situations, no matter how small or big or complicated. And you know, that's really what counseling and shepherding and discipleship is at the end of the day. 
it's not just information transfer of, of imparting to somebody else more Bible facts and data. But it's helping people see how a certain principle from Scripture can and ought to be applied in this very specific situation. And in so doing, you can then discern what God's will for you might be. You know, when you guys come to me for counsel, believe me, I do not immediately know what you should do. I have no idea. I'm blindsided every time. I've never been in that situation. And there isn't some secret formula that I have access to that spits out sage advice. I wish I did. Make my life a lot easier. The pastor is not some guru of infallible human wisdom or experience. But when you come to me for counsel, as I sit there and I listen to you, while I am listening to you, in my head, I am frantically flipping through the pages of Scripture to try to find some passage somewhere that conveys a command or principle or pattern that might be applicable to your situation. And it's, it's a frantic turning a lot of times. And there were times when after the conversation, a few days later, I'm by myself reading the Bible and I come across a passage and I think to myself, oh, darn, I should have mentioned this. This would have been so much more helpful. And then I realize how much more I need to fill my mind with God's word if I'm going to be helpful to his people. And the point is this. It's not me who has any wisdom in myself. But it is God who is infinitely wise and has revealed his wisdom through his word. And I can only be effective insofar as I regularly immerse myself in God's word. But here's the thing. God has given all of us access to his word. Which means that we are all capable of ministering his word to one another, provided that we are filling our minds with the word and pursuing greater maturity in it. And this is why Paul, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you can turn there if you would like to, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and into chapter 3, Paul describes spiritual maturity in terms of the mind. And the mind doesn't mean intellect or intelligence but the mind means your whole thinking your whole outlook everything and he says in verse 15 that the spiritual person by that he means a spiritually mature person the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of christ well by contrast chapter 3 verse 1 But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, meaning spiritually immature. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Because their thinking was still so elementary and so easily influenced by the world. And as such, they were unable, these Corinthians, to apply biblical principles to even the small things such as social interactions. That was the whole issue at Corinth, you remember. Division, dissension, jealousy, strife, envy, rivalry, everything. But again, by contrast, spiritual maturity is having the mind of Christ where your thoughts are governed by his word. And you know how to think and behave like Jesus in everything, no matter how small a given circumstance might be. 
And this maturation can only come about by a regular and rich diet of intaking God's word. And that, church, is my job as your pastor and as your teacher. Not to be the only member of the whole church who ministers the word, but it's to feed you with the richest portions of the word, to give to you the absolute best of my studies and prayerful meditations in the word, so as to bring that to you and to foster and nurture your spiritual growth so that over time, the whole church would be filled with all kinds of members able and willing to minister the word to each other. You know how they say, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, but teach a man how to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. That's my calling in the church as a shepherd and teacher. Not just to feed you fish. I'm I'm not meant to be a one-man fish market. But that I might equip you to be a fisher of men along with me. Teaching you from the word, not just what to think, but to try to teach you how to think. That's the labor of preaching, you know. To not just explain boring details about the text. My goodness, I can't stand sermons like that. I fall asleep. But it's laboring to show how God intends for this portion of his word to shape our minds, to shape our thinking, to help us behold the glory of Christ so that in and through it all, we might be empowered to live godly lives seeking his will. Now, if that's my responsibility as a preacher, then what is the congregation's responsibility as a listener? It's to listen with a purpose. It's to feed on the word, not just for a nice personal culinary experience, but to intentionally feed with the purpose of aspiring towards spiritual maturity, not just for your sake, but for the sake of others, so that you might be equipped to be able to build up the body of Christ. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's two books over from Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, then Philippians, and then uh, Colossians. Uh, The book of Colossians is a very close sister letter to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul wrote four letters in his first imprisonment. And uh, those four are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But of those four, Ephesians and Colossians are very, very close together in terms of topic and logic. In fact, Paul probably wrote those two very close together, if not one after the other. If you read those two side by side, you'll notice that a lot of it sounds the same. In any case, Colossians is a sister letter to Ephesians. And in chapter uh, 3 of Colossians, in verse 16, Paul, well, the whole book and the whole chapter, Paul is talking about very similar things, addressing similar issues. But this is what Paul says in verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, that's everything we've been talking about. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
Now again, remember, Colossians is not written just to pastors. But it's written to the whole church at Colossae. And while Paul is the same Paul who recognizes the order of the office of elders who have the special regular ministry of teaching, he nonetheless calls the entire church, all believers, to teach one another and admonish one another. You see, it is God's design for all believers to mature for this purpose of ministering to each other. And notice how back in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's portrayal and calling for individual maturity of being saturated in the word is for the purpose of not just self-edification, but for the edification and the healthy growth of the whole body. He says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love or truthing in love, we are, we are, each of us, all of us, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds, here's the most important word, it builds itself up in love. The way Paul has just portrayed this is as if it were a self-sustaining ministry. The whole body able to minister to one another within. You don't have to outsource that. You're able to do it within the congregation. You see, this must be our goal and direction as a church. This is what God wants NBC to aspire towards. Now, I know that within a congregation... Amongst the believers, there's a wide spectrum of spiritual maturity. And that's to be expected. And as with human life, maturity and maturation takes time. But regardless of where you may be, the point here is that every member, every Christian, needs to be actively striving to mature with this goal in mind. It needs to be a conscious, prayerful aim. No one should be passive and seek to remain in the position of being spoon-fed. Hebrews 5.12 says that some of you should be able to teach by now, but you still need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God, the basic principles of the Word. You're still stuck on milk. When you should have been on solid food for a long time now, given how many years you've been walking with the Lord. And so the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, let us go on to maturity. This is God's will for every Christian. And you know, this is actually such a blessing because it actually instills our lives with very clear meaning and purpose. Regardless of our life stage or season or occupation because it's god's will that you would mature and be weaned from spiritual infancy from just looking to be fed and reach the point of mature manhood or spiritual adulthood where you can feed others and that is an excitement and fulfillment like no other, because you feel the sense of the coming of age spiritually and the enlargement of spiritual capacity that comes with it. And by that I mean the the capacity to now be able to provide for others. And there's a joy in that. Isn't that exactly what the analogy of human life teaches us? At the mark of human maturity, 
is that you're able to take care of others. It's what differentiates between a child and adult, regardless of age. We have these days people who are grown, grown men who are 35 years old and they still don't know how to take care of anyone but themselves. They can hardly take care of themselves. They might be physically an adult by age, but they're still a child inside. That's the differentiating marker. You know, I remember when I was in fourth or fifth grade, we had a Sunday school teacher who was obviously an adult. And uh, as a kid, I don't know if you did this, but as a kid, I remember every day I was just dying to know what is it like being an adult? I mean, that was just a mystery of all mysteries. I, I couldn't fathom it. What, what would it feel like? can't even imagine. And one day uh, in our Sunday school class, I, along with the other kids, we asked him that question. Good teacher. I'm just kidding. Uh, teacher, what, what, what is it like being an adult? Can you describe that for us? And after thinking about it for some time, he answered like this. He said, you know, the best way to explain it is that being an adult means that you have a lot of responsibility. Now, when I heard that, my immediate reaction in my mind was, what are you talking about, dog? I got responsibilities too. I got homework. And I got that math homework in my fifth grade class, long division. I've been doing that long division. I get it on time and I turn it in. I got responsibility. That was not a very helpful answer. Of course, I was a fool. But as the years went by and once I became an adult and I look back even to this day, I, re- I realized what he meant by that. That what it means to be an adult is that you have and are able to handle the responsibility of taking care of other people outside of yourself. A spouse. A child. Even your own parents as they age. The mark of adulthood is being in a position now to feed and provide for other people. And there's a glory to it. A a, a sense of grand purpose that's bigger than just your little self as a child. You know, look, I I loved being a child, okay? I had fun. It was fun. I I messed around. I I played with my toys. I I don't know if I ate crayons. Maybe I did. I I have good memories of being a child. I loved it. But I love being an adult incomparably more. I love being a husband. I love being a father. I love having my own family to protect and care for. It is glorious. It is a deeper and richer experience of life. And some of you older folks in this room, you can go further and you can testify. You love being a grandparent because there is a greater weight of glory that you now experience, which the rest of us can't fathom. Uh, It's not just that you love your grandkids and oh, they're so cute and fun. I mean, of course, all of that. But now you, you, you think about how to provide for them too. And now you're in a position of giving of yourself to multiple generations of your own progeny, of your own family. And there is a glory to that. And it's right, it's biblical. 
Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In Proverbs 17.6, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. But you see, this is the glory of human maturity as we grow into the role of caretakers and providers. And you see, so it is with spiritual maturity. It gets better. There's a greater satisfaction and fulfillment as you grow in Christ. You know, no Christian is devoid of purpose in this life unless you're without a church. Because the church gives you purpose. Because there are a lot of needs in the church. A lot of souls that need spiritual care. And so every one of us is called to pursue spiritual maturity for the sake of the church. And it is for our blessing in the end. You know, maybe, maybe that for you, uh, lack of knowledge uh, is not the issue. But a lack of willingness. Perhaps your greatest hindrance is needing to overcome the inertia of either passiveness or timidity. And if that's you, let the clarity of God's blueprint for His church rouse you into action and active duty. The church needs your ministry. Don't be afraid to take initiative. You are more gifted and useful to God's kingdom than you realize. But you won't realize it until you take that initiative to actively seek out opportunities to minister the truth to your fellow brothers and sisters. For others of you, you may have knowledge, but perhaps what you need to grow in is a love for people, of developing sincere relationships, because that is always going to be the environment and the avenue in which ministry takes place. Deep, meaningful relationships of trust. And so if that's you, be reminded how much Paul stresses love in Ephesians chapter 4. And again, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says that if I have all knowledge and understand all mysteries, he doesn't, but he's speaking hyperbolically, even if I did, but I don't have love, then I have absolutely positively nothing. My translation. And so again, remember, love is essential. And you have to humble yourself and begin with the basics of cultivating and expressing love for your fellow brothers and sisters. And if you're hearing all of this and you realize that you might still be a spiritual infant after all, then I've actually got good news for you. That there's a cure and a solution to your spiritual boredom, which is probably an accurate description of how you've been feeling for a while. That your spiritual life has been feeling dry or lacking excitement. Do you know why? It's probably because you've been feeding on an infant's diet of milk for way too long. Instead of the glories of solid food. The glories of medium rare filet mignon. It's time to grow up and resolve to grow into spiritual adulthood. And sometimes that's as simple as just making time for the various teaching ministries offered by your church designed to equip you, hint, hint, with rich portions of the word. And whatever the case, whatever category you might fall into, every one of us must be vigilant to mature in Christ 
not for our individual sake only, but for the sake of the body. This is God's will for MBC. Our aim must be to become a mature church able to minister to each other's souls. Let me end with this thought that a church solely upheld by the ministry of one pastor will not last. I promise you it won't last. Even if he's faithful, I mean, practically speaking, what's going to happen if he gets hit by a bus? Then the whole thing is gone. And likewise, a church that might be functioning and a lot of different people on staff and so on and so forth, but a church that is built on the persona and charisma or the marketability of one man will eventually crumble. It's only a matter of time, even if it's a long time. Because God is not honored by that. It's contrary to his design. And I tell you, you have no idea how much I pray against it for our church. Lord, never let NBC be about the pastor. But let it be about Christ. His supremacy. His preeminence. And His Word dwelling in us so richly and so abundantly that it overflows from one member to another. Make us a church filled with non-vocational gospel ministers each member doing his or her part to edify and exhort one another to greater faithfulness to Christ. This is the mature, healthy church. And may God help us and grow us to that end. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the infinite wisdom and immeasurable grace by which you have called your church, redeemed your people, and brought us into your house. Oh Lord, we pray that in this church you would be glorified, that Christ alone would be exalted, and that your spirit would continue to nurture us and to grow us and to bring us into your perfect plan realized and fulfilled in us for your glory. And we thank you for the gift that is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper by which we are always reminded that we belong to a body, that we belong to a family, and that Christ gave himself up for his church. And so, Lord, as we take these ordinary elements of the bread and the cup, would you help us by your spirit to receive them by faith and to be reminded of the the deep love you have for your church and that we might share that love and love one another and minister to one another for your glory and in obedience to your command. In Jesus' name, amen.